Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And breathe. What a night of action we had at the Euros to finish the group stages and to climax with all the teams that we know are going through to the round of 16. And it is set up beautifully. We'll discuss all of that in length in today's episode of the Gangapod. There is so much to talk about, so let's get started. Werner strikes it. Goretzka strikes it. And Leon Goretzka scores. Germany level for the second time. And real hope for them of staying in the tournament. Yeah, group E and F decided this morning, Thursday morning on Optus Sport. And my goodness, we saw some drama. There is much to get tuck into. And we will with our all-star cast both here in Australia and around Europe as well. Where we'll hear from journalists from The Athletic in the UK from the grounds this morning as well. Jake Rosengarten, you had a bit to digest this morning on deadline in Portugal against Germany. My goodness, you must have enjoyed that. Portugal against France, I should say. You must have enjoyed that. <laughs> I think the heart is still racing, Dave. You can't even can't even digest through the teams, no. let alone the result. Crazy. But um, oh, absolutely mental stuff. How good was that? I mean, that's all you can really say. I mean, these occasions, sometimes they sort of don't really live up to the bill. This one gave you everything and more. It did. John Aloisi. I know you got lots to talk about this morning because your your beloved Spain play there was that was that that was drama early at two a.m. But then the theatre at five a.m. It's it's tournament football. I loved every minute of it. I, that was the best morning we've had so far in the the tournament. And every morning's been entertainment and been great football being played. But just you know the atmosphere in Budapest and to see that game, I thought Portugal were great in the first half. France were even better in the second half. And then what was going on over in Germany, in Munich, it was... I know that you were biting your fingernails <laughs> and you thought that Hungary wouldn't have finally get through. And, you know, there were so many twists and turns and then the penalty, you know, decisions that weren't penalties and some that should have been. It was it was great. But how good is it when an underdog stands up too and sets the cat amongst the pigeons and made that impossible group even harder? We'll talk about that in a sec, but that was just absolutely brilliant. That's why there was so much drama where Germany were... A few minutes from going out. Portugal were a Rupert Patricio fingernail from going out. So where do we begin, Jake? How do you assess from... What did you take as the lead from the game uh, between France and, and Portugal? Incredibly. Well, not incredibly when you think about who he is, but you have to really come back to Cristiano Ronaldo. Somehow, even though in an amazing game, he still takes the headline purely because the man equals one of the great records in football all-time men's football top scorer, equal with uh, Iran's Ali Dai on 109 goals with a couple of penalties in this one, which will be the headline around the world. But from the game itself, I think ultimately Paul Pogba, as much as anyone else, really stood out in this game. Yeah, I thought Paul Pogba has been great so far in the tournament. And um, he just seems relaxed. He seems calm on the ball. And his passing is just brilliant. The, you know, the, the ball that he, he gave through to Benzema, you know, the weight of the pass, the weight just curled in front of Benzema. Benzema didn't even have to break stride. Mm. And and as a, as a striker, because you want to be looking at the goal to see where the keeper is, where you're positioning. And as the ball's starting to come in front of you, you go, yes, the ball's perfect. I didn't even need to take a touch. And it was a good finish. And that... Uh, 
them, that helped Benzema. I think what helped Benzema was scoring that penalty because it was a weight off his shoulders. Six years since he played for France, hadn't scored for so many games, and then all of a sudden gets that penalty, the confidence, the weight off his shoulders is gone, and then he, he makes it, uh, well, there was 2-1 at that stage. Pogba played that pass. He also played Mbappe with an equally delicious ball in the first half where Mbappe forced a save, didn't finish it, but his range of passing in this tournament in game-breaking moments has been exhilarating. And Benzema too, you look at that and go, he had actually scratched about in the first half. You were thinking there might be a few question marks raising if he doesn't score. The penalty opens, you sort of, is the relief. Griezmann normally takes the penalties. He gave it to Benzema. That changes the course of the game and he makes a run that he was picked for and we've seen him finish those chances time and time again for Madrid. Giroud's not making that run. Yeah, you're right. Giroud wouldn't make that run. Giroud brings something else to the game. Other things, yeah. of course. Yeah. But um, Benzema is on another level. You know, I don't want to like say Ferrari go-kart, <laughs> but <laughs> it is another level. And, uh, and you're right. In that first half, I was going, oh, Benzema looks like he's struggling here. And I thought that even... The shop might even take him off at halftime because he's gone. His confidence is yeah, down. Yeah, really. Yeah, because you could just sense that he wasn't there. He wasn't there. Scores the penalty. Different Benzema. Different person. Goes in at halftime having a chat with Ronaldo. Probably saying to Ronaldo, thank God I got that because I was gone here. <laughs> you know, I didn't even want the ball at one stage. But then the second half, he comes to life. Um, and, you know, we know about Pogba. Griezmann worked his... Socks off. He was he was good, but it was also his work rate that was really good. And Kante, we know about. And um, but you know, let's not take anything away from Portugal's first half. But, you know, they actually Santos finally played on the front foot. Finally picked the starting eleven that was more attacking. I thought Renato Sanchez was was very good. Mm-hmm. You know, considering that he wasn't playing from the start, he had a great season with Lille. You know, he, he's had a, a bit of a up and down career, you could say, because he burst onto the scene. Everyone thought he was the next best thing, and then um, you know he's been a journeyman. But um, you know he showed that he's got true quality, and I thought that uh, especially against one of the best teams in the world, he showed his class. Can't stop you talking on that one, Johnny. Reeling him off. There's a yeah. million a bit to yeah. tuck into there. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to, to pick the only ones that I'm leaving out are the defenders because I'm thinking, well, if they're conceding goals and giving away penalties. We're going to have to leave well, that one. You did leave one person out, so while we're on the Portugal thread and we've got lots to tuck into, but we will go to we'll a journalist the from the out. Athletic as uh, Fernando Santos, I think. Well, <laughs> what Fernando Santos did, Tim Spears, who covers Wolverhampton for the Athletic. He, I spoke to him a bit earlier about the changes made by Fernando Santo before this game, and his observation was all of those things, but also the performance of Jean Matinho. Yeah, I've got to say, I, they haven't won the game tonight, but really, really impressed with the way Portugal played, you know, coming on the back of such an embarrassing defeat. So what Fernando Santos did was was change to 4-1, 4-1 without the ball. Danilo, Danilo still sitting, but with old stager Matinho coming into midfield. And then the energy of Renato Sanchez, who I thought was phenomenal. Um, I mean, I cover Wolves for the Wolves for the Athletic and Matinho's really struggled this season. A couple of injuries and sort of looked like his age, really, at 34, that sort of caught up with him. But I thought he was great tonight. A real class act, great movement. Fantastic set piece for the for the first penalty, recycled possession, great positioning. I mean, the guy just knows exactly what he's doing in midfield. He could do it with his eyes closed. 
And that's interesting, Jake, because Matinho might have been on the wrong side of the hill, perhaps, for Wolverhampton this year, but he did make a difference. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to go continue with Santo and, and, and the changes that he made? Because, you know, we talked about this as we were on the fly before, during the game, and you're on copy, and we're getting ready for the show. And you're like, normally after these games, you go, well, if Portugal go out, you go, Fernando Santo, too conservative, didn't get the best out of the players. But you know what? If they had gone out today, you would have actually said, they played a really good game, and his tactics improve them from game two to game three. Well, as I as I mentioned to you earlier today, Dave, in one of our one of our classic chats, I think that I would argue, I don't know if you disagree, Johnny, that the two best players for Portugal on the pitch in the first half just about were Moutinho and Sanchez. And they were the two players who come into this eleven um, at the expense of William Carvalho and Bruno Fernandes, of all people. Um, and I think that sort of allowed Portugal, I think it sort of balanced them a little bit more without as much sort of attacking impetus coming from midfield that Fernandes sort of supplies and um yeah i just thought that their play especially in the first half they were really able to get on top and, and move the ball around and, and sort of suffocate a bit of the supply to the likes of benzema and mbappe particularly obviously we saw griezmann working really hard to get back into his own half and and be a part of things but i thought the two of them were were sort of um obviously we saw mbappe making a few runs that that made a difference but i thought the two of them compared to what they usually do, we're, we're largely starved of influence. Yeah, look, I, I actually agree with you in terms of those two midfielders, Matinho and, and Sanchez, because w- what happens there, they're more eights. They're not really tens. They're not sixes. And so finally he started to play with one six to give him that balance, but he was on the, the front foot. And Sanchez, he showed his power today. Sometimes there he was having a tussle with Kante and he was throwing him about and you go, that's not an easy thing to do. Bernardo Silva was also good. That was probably the, his best performance so far in this tournament. I thought every time he got on the ball something was happening and you're right they starved the French team of the ball and when the French team did have the ball they they weren't able to create anything until that dubious penalty which Hmm. I thought was shocking yeah well it's I think Mbappe bought it brilliantly and it was pretty soft I'm surprised it wasn't turned over because it looks like he was looking for the touch looking for the movement three penalties by the way in the one game which was it a controversial game? It was, and that was probably the standout drama. The other two were fairly obvious, and then they should have had a third at the end, probably for Bruno Fernandes stepping on Kingsley Coman. But that one in particular to Mbappe probably stands out. Yeah, that one definitely stands out because Mbappe's making a forward run. He's doing the right thing, and they go to play that ball. And what I, I think that uh, Semedo does well, he runs across his line because he's out wide, and you're taught as a defender. You're, you're out wide, you're right back, you're, you're looking after your left winger or your left wing back or whoever it is up higher. And then as soon as the ball goes back centrally you're not worried about that anymore you have to come inside he comes inside he does the right thing blocks the player which you see all the time I was going to say how many times do we see that in a game and he doesn't actually take a a natural movement it's like he puts his shoulder out or anything like that I would have had 150 penalties given to me if that is given (laughs) let's go back in time let's give Johnny 150 more goals I want to see it I I didn't say I would score 150 (laughs) penalties Ronaldo might (laughs) good stuff good stuff now that was that was what improved Portugal, who were probably the, their best display of the competition so far, despite the fact they obviously put three past Hungary. Um, France, I feel like they've done what they've had to do so far, as they always do, and still have another year, particularly given, I want to talk about in particular, Paul Pogba for France, Antoine Griezmann for France. They are different beasts. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we. I, I sort of walked away from this game, and you look at the numbers, especially as much as... It was pleasing to the eye. Paul Pogba bossed this game. It was a, it was an absolute masterclass. And you wonder, as we always wonder when we watch Paul Pogba for France, why doesn't he do this for Manchester United? And especially in the context of 
Bruno Fernandes wasn't even in Portugal's 11, and you've uh, the guy that Manchester United build around, and you've got Paul Pogba, who is amongst this galaxy of superstars, running the game. I still don't think they use him uh, really well at Manchester United. There's a lot of talk about how oh, Pogba cares more for France and he doesn't care. For, I don't think that's true. I, when you're a, a beast like Paul Pogba, you want to win every game. You want to do well every game. Sometimes because it looks so easy and when he makes a mistake, he thinks he's not trying because he just that's the way he plays, the, the way he moves. It, it looks easy for him. Don't forget, with France, he plays next to Kante. When you play next to someone that good, that's going to cover you if you make a mistake, then you're not afraid to start to play those balls forward. You're not afraid to do something because you know that Kante's there for you. And so at Man United, they haven't got a Kante. They've got good players, but not a world-class sitting midfielder. And and on top of that, just before um, that, Jake, is that it, whether it's Rabiot, whether it's Toliso, it's a foil for Pogba as opposed to the other talisman that he's competing with in terms of Fernandes. For sure. I mean... Johnny, you talk about the absence of that Kante-style player at Old Trafford. Um, they obviously use the likes of, of McTominay and Fred in those sort of roles deeper in midfield. If you could sign someone, obviously N'Golo Kante is not, not switching Stamford Bridge for Manchester United anytime soon. But if you could sign one player to compliment Paul Pogba and get him playing like France Pogba at Manchester United, who you're only going to Solskjaer, who do you sign? You'd sign Kante, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you'd also set your team up a little bit around, all right, Pogba is that good that we need players to cover him on occasions because he gets he gets criticised because he doesn't always do his defensive duties as, as well as he should. But like you said, you, you've got players, not only Kante, but you've got other players around that will help with those defensive duties. You've got Griezmann sprinting back to make a tackle. You know, I, I don't see that at Man United, those attacking players really helping him. You know, sometimes Man United, because they know how good he is, they put him on the left wing and, you know, you drift inside. But is that really his position? His position is, like he's playing for France, he's that box-to-box midfielder. Uh, yes, his defensive uh, qualities aren't as good as a lot of other midfielders, but he's got cover. And his quality going forward, not so much you could, you know, the final third you need him, but in that mid-third, when he gets the ball and he looks up and he goes, there's Mbappe, boom. There's Benzema, boom. And you go, that's the quality you, you see from Pogba. He, he actually, he bossed that game in the second half. He really did. And Griezmann, you watch a lot of Barcelona. Obviously, everything's about Lionel Messi for Barcelona. But for France, it's, it's, they've got Mbappe and they've got Pogba and they've got Benzema. Yet Griezmann still seems to be crucial for them. Is that a man management thing or a tactical thing? A bit of both. A bit of both because at, uh, at Barca, Messi's the main man. So, you know, you sort of have to play and, and set up your system around Messi. Uh, with France, the, the system's really set for the whole team. You know, the, the system's set because that's the way that, the you know, you've got those players. It's normally a 4-3-3. You know, might be a 4-4-2 on occasions that you allow Griezmann to just float in those areas. He can't really do that at Barcelona. He needs to stay in his sort of area. But also, it's a confidence thing because managers at Barcelona are still trying to figure out a way to get the best out of him. And he knows it and he probably doesn't feel that confidence. It doesn't feel the same love as what Deschamps gives mm. him because Deschamps gives him a lot of love. All right, I'll let you go. One more. One more. We'll, we'll go for three hours if we keep going. One more. <laughs> I was just going to say, with Aguero and Depay now arriving at Barcelona, I mean, is what does that mean for Antoine Griezmann? You know what? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know where they can play him. You know, I'm hoping that you're going to see, you know, Aguero up through the middle, uh, Depay on the left, Messi on the right, and Griezmann just behind. I'm hoping you're that... You're going to get all four of them into an 11. You might. 
you might be able to. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, I'd love that to happen because uh, you know, uh, you know, you, when you look at Griezmann, the way he performs with France, you want him to perform like that, you know, for Barcelona. And when you've got someone like Messi around, you know, that can help Griezmann in terms of setting him up with goals and chances and whatever else. I'd love that to happen. But then, you know, what are you going to do with the De Jong? What are you going to do with Busquets? What are you going to do with Pedri? You what, know, are you, what, what are you going to do with Martin Braithwaite? What have you done? You've left him out of the eleven. <laughs> Daryl might have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and sing a song. You might find it. <laughs> hang out with the horses on the bench. <laughs> well, that sets up France against Switzerland on Tuesday at 5 a.m. And more ridiculously and tantalizingly, the European, reigning European champions scrape through and their reward is a date with Belgium. That's a, that's a, that's a tasty one. That's a tasty one. It's really hard to see much in that despite Portugal scratching through. Again, that one there is a, a, I think it's a good one for Portugal. Actually, um, I know that Belgium uh, have got the quality and they're a top side and Lukaku and De Bruyne, how do you stop them? But um, I still think Portugal can hurt the, the Belgium's defence. I, I actually really do. I think that, uh, you know, with their attacking players, with uh, uh, Jota, who wasn't sided as much today, you know, but normally he's that one that can make those forward runs and hard to stop Bernardo Silva. And the way that uh, they play, the only thing that I will say is that Playing the system that Belgium played, the Germans played the same system and opened up the Portuguese defence. So that's where the Portuguese need to get it right. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that we didn't really see as much today. Obviously, the question mark after that Germany game was was Portugal being exposed down the flanks and, and those crosses coming in. And we didn't see a heap of that this morning from France. I do wonder, especially the way that Belgium set up, whether they're wide players, you're, you're talking Hazards and um, Castagna's out of the tournament, but whoever they whoever they have on the right whether they can really get down those flanks and expose those players. Because I thought, I mean, it's Kylian Mbappe, but I thought Nelson Semedo, again, has looked... I think the loss of João Cancelo will come into focus because I, I really think Semedo has been not great so far. Well, what he will need to do, and, and I showed it on one of the touch screens, uh, that the footage that I showed, their wingers, their, their attacking players, might have to come back to help. And, you know, that's that Jota and that's even where Bernardo Silva. And I saw that more this morning than I did in the previous game. Yeah, different system, but they still had to track the fullbacks. And they did that well. They did it a lot better um, because they didn't do that well against Germany. Well, talking about fullbacks and wingbacks, that was part of the theatre today. It was also part of the equation in Munich where Hungary had Germany really thinking that they could be going out of the tournament with six, minute, six minutes to go. It was an exhilarating roller coaster ride of a morning thanks to the part that this game played where Hungary go up through Adam Salai. Germany equalise, of course, and then 91 seconds later, they're watching the ball go back in their own net with Manuel Neuer and Lero Sainz looking at each other going, what are you doing? As Schaefer goes through and prods the ball home with incredible as, intent. As Wiener runs around the Optus Sports studio <laughs> with his shirt off just no, celebrating I Hungary. I certainly did not. <laughs> but I, you were celebrating. But we all enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, we I, all enjoyed it because of the drama. I loved it. And, and we'll probably... All hoping and praying that Hungary were going to go through because everyone loves an underdog. Everyone loves an upset. And if Germany lost, that would have been one of the biggest stories in the history of German football, losing to Hungary at home. You know, we all, I don't remember, <laughs> but we all know about, you know, what happened when Hungary played Germany. Is it 54, Dave? Yeah, 3-2 West Germany. Yeah. So, the, you know, that's a, the miracle of Bern. So it could have been the miracle of Munich. It's a long time to write for revenge. <laughs> that's really taking, alliteration too. That's taking the storyline revenge a really a long way. Well, they, long, but they hadn't played him in a in a tournament, yeah. you know, until now since that game. So you know, it was an amazing morning. It was it was 
great because everyone thought that Germany wanted to get knocked out. Um, I think the Germans really missed Muller. I think mm. that he adds so much to that side. He's not only with his runs and his movement, but his coaching in that in that final third. Um, but I have to say the Hungarians defended like an Italian defence, and that's why they got the Italian, Italian coach. coach. <laughs> they were they were very good defensively, very good. They were so well organised. Like you, you, you know, coming into a tournament team like Hungary, particularly given their recent results, are going to be well organised. The intensity and passion and forward thought in key moments they played with, particularly in the last two games, was. So pleasantly surprising. It's great when you see that that nation, just the tier below the top guns, really taking it to a team with intent. But Kai Havertz, the equaliser, Leon Goretzka, the second equaliser, were good enough. Joined from Munich by the Athletics German expert, Raf Honningstein. And he's got some really interesting stuff to say because he says not only were they really lucky, they didn't deserve the point that got them through to the round of 16. There was no plan. There was no collective idea. There was no cohesion. Everything seemed very slow and laboured, especially in the first half. Things picked up a little bit in the second half and uh, tried different things, made lots of changes. None of them really making that much of a positive difference. I can't quite see how this kind of performance will do anything for Germany at Wembley. There needs to be a lot more thinking going into what they're trying to do. Individuals need to play better. As a team, they need to do better. But England will look at us thinking, this Germany team are there for the taking. That might just benefit Germany, but I can't think of anything else that's actually optimistic to say at this point. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And Rafa is one of the absolute foremost experts on German football and he's not impressed with the co- the, the plan, the co- coming together of this German uh, campaign under Jürgi Lowe. And I guess it's a bit harsh. It's a bit harsh because you, you have to say, give credit to Hungary. Um, Germany were that good against Portugal and I thought they were very good against France as well. Uh, so, you, you know, you can't just go off of one game and go, mm. oh, they're poor, I don't like the way they've come together. You, you, you have to say, all right, they weren't as good today. They still dominated the game. They got caught out a little bit defensively. That's where I, I, I still, and we said before the mm. tournament, that could be their downfall because defensively, Hummels is not quick. You know, they, they've, they've leaked goals for the past two seasons. Well, and, and Hungary had joy not only, we know they'll, vulnerable through the middle. Hungary had joy in the wide positions. I mentioned, you mentioned the wingbacks in the other game were so effective. Today, that was where Hungary had a lot of joy getting in behind. So, so where I think he's got an interesting point though, John, is, you know, it's German strength. Is it possession in midfield? Is it pace in front? Is it Havertz and Müller's intelligence? It just feels like a bit of everything, but you don't know exactly which, what it is. And when they go to Wembley to play England, who are fretting right now about having another penalty shootout already, <laughs> like just look forward for a minute. Don't don't worry about the past. You look at it and you go, we know now, kind of, whether we like it or not, what Southgate's going to do. But I'm not quite sure which Germany we're going to get. 
And that, I think this is the Germany that we've seen from the start. They will dominate the game. They will dominate possession. They will take the game to the opposition. Where they get caught is sometimes on the break. And that's that's the Germany that we're seeing so far. That's the Germany that, uh, you know, in the first game that got caught out a couple of times and against Mbappe, the pace of Mbappe. Um, that's the Germany that got caught out this morning, a little bit on the break. And, and, and switching off, off a, a, you know, they score a the goal kickoff. and then the kickoff and they switch off like that. But in terms of their football and their way of going forward and their way of their movements and, you know, bringing, uh, you know, the rotations out wide and in the midfield, you know, they're, they're still a quality side. I, I wouldn't go far to say that, oh, they're, they're a rabble. You know, Kimmich, Goretzka, Muller, they're Bayern Munich players. And then when they're all playing together, they're hard to stop. I think man for man, like people have been going on about the quality that England possess all over the park. But I think man for man, if Germany get their best 11 on the pitch, they match up or just about exceed England man for man, which I think is remarkable. And I, I think it's a game which, I mean, for me, I think it's a real danger game for Gareth Southgate, especially when you think about the football that England have played, that sort of ponderous build-up. And uh, you, you talk about Germany wanting to dominate the ball. I actually think they will be able to do that against England. And England haven't considered a goal yet, but when you look at the weapons that Germany have, they haven't exactly fired yet properly. But I think if they can get the best out of a Havertz or, or a Sane or, or a Gnabry in that game, England will be vulnerable. Gnabry's been poor. That, that, that's the one player that's probably just lacked that little bit today. And, uh, and and I think that that's probably let them down a little bit because if they had someone that, you know, because Havertz stepped up, you know, Havertz has been really good. He scored goals. Well, actually, the three, when I say they're in between plans, what I mean, it's very clear that they want to play their position plan, but the three dynamic speedsters who at this tournament, Werner, Sane, Gnabry, yes. were meant to be the next generation stepping up. They haven't They're stepped all up underdone. Yet. Yeah, yeah. They're they all ha- underdone. They haven't stepped up yet. Werner comes into the tournament low on confidence, hasn't had the greatest season. Gnabry, you know, you, I was expecting a little bit more. Sane was, you know, if in the strongest 11 at the moment, he wouldn't start. The, they would start Muller. So, yeah, the, the, there I agree with. Um, but I actually think that the way Germany play could play into England's hands. Uh, yeah. I, I actually yeah. think England struggle when a team sits off of them, um, like they did against Scotland, um, and like they did you know, a little bit in the second half against the, the Czechs. I, I actually think that England then, uh, you know, with their sometimes slow build-up because they take too long and, you know, it's not one-touch football like we saw from Spain this morning. Um, but once uh, there's space... For the likes of Sterling, for the likes of Saka, I actually think they can really hurt the Germans. I think that's where it will be decided. I think no matter what happens in midfield, the ability of Sterling now with a bit of confidence, Saka, I mean, that's out of nowhere, but in theory, Rashford or Sancho, I think Phil Foden's place might be actually a little bit under threat. And, and, and I maybe even Grealish, it might just be all about that pace and penetration in behind. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because it is a couple of days away. But that's the immediate takeout. I watched Germany today and I go, we all thinking, how are they going to go against England? What a tasty round of 16 matchup. Now that's 5am done, but there was drama at 2am too. This was um, not drama in the Spain game in the sense it was 5-0. We finally saw them come come good. But Sweden and Poland at the same time, Lead chopping and changing. Robert Lewandowski trying to do it all on his own, and Sweden get the extra, the stoppage time winner to top the group. Massive advantage because it, it pits Spain against Croatia, yeah, and it takes him on to the easier side of the group as well. So that, that that's helped Sweden. Forsberg finally stepped up. I'll read out the, the sides by the way while we mentioned that, John. So on one hand, you've got Belgium and Portugal, Italy and Austria, France and Switzerland, Croatia and Spain on one side of the draw. 
that late stoppage time winner, guys, from Sweden, from Forsberg, puts them up against Ukraine on a side of the draw that has England and Germany, Netherlands and Czech Republic, Wales and Denmark. So that couple of minutes there, and Spain's lack of putting their chances away in the first two games, so they come second, yeah, that, that changes things big time. Yeah, it does. And uh, look, uh, Spain, they're a type of nation, group of players, coach, that will go, now we're through the group stage, we don't care who we face, because we're confident that we can beat anyone. Um, so they, they will look at it that way. But um, they would have loved to have been on the other side, of course. But it does open the group up quite a bit. Could it be Denmark's fairy tale from the start of the tournament? What happened? Mm. Um, you know, it, it w- that would have been emotionally draining for that group. But now that they've got a new lease of life in terms of, you know, the, the, they through the group, they the, you know, that crowd in the, the second game, the whole country behind them, you know, they, they could go on a bit of a run now. Even, even the Dutch, the Dutch, you know, who before leading into this tournament, no one really gave them any chance. Now, all of a sudden, they could go on, mm. you know, very deep into the tournament. So it, it opens up nicely on that side. Well, it has happened because of what happened in Spain. I mentioned it was a dramatic morning. Even though 5-0, it feels more dramatic than it was because it did take them a while to get there. We know Luis Enrique said we're going to be like a champagne bottle. When we pop, we've got to pop. It took Martin de Bavka to help them pop it with a howl up, but not after, not before. He had made a penalty save too. So it there was drama, twists and turns, and the commentators were saying, and you felt this before Spain scored, is this scoring thing going to be the thing that kills them this tournament? But in the end, what did you like about what you saw? Because it was a different-looking Spain side, probably the 11 that he's going to go with, and no surprises it had Sergio Busquets in the heart of it. You just mentioned Busquets. I, I think that was the big difference because Busquets actually gives confidence to Pedri. You know, because they played together at Barcelona. Pedri was outstanding mm. this morning. Um, you know, just that, those final balls. He showed his quality at 18 years old. Just the, the, the final pass, the balls in just over the top, the li- very little space. Um, and then you've got uh, Sarabia, who showed his yeah. quality. Because, you know, Luis Enrique leading into this tournament said, Sarabia's been our best trainer. Uh, and what we've seen of him here... I think he's going to be outstanding, and and he showed, and and his finishing. So it, there was drama because they were missing chances still in the first twenty minutes. They missed the penalty. Um, they got that bit of luck, and with that bit of luck, it just went bang, bang, bang. They they were unstoppable. And that's the thing; it can it can all in a tournament like this, it can all turn on on a single moment, and that could be the one. I mean, for me, you watched them up to that point, and they were they just couldn't get it done. And then I think the fourth goal, the one that Ferran Torres scored, basically just sums up like the confidence that you get. I mean. Like, the guy's been on the pitch for like five seconds. He brings out a back heel to score like with his first touch. It's ridiculous. See, and that helps. Like Gerard Moreno didn't get on the score sheet, but um, Morata scored the other games. Again, he didn't look like he was going to score today. But you had multiple goal had scorers, scorers yeah. and and then that helps the, the you know the confidence and you know Sarabia for around Torres because we know Torres can score goals at Man City. He's shown it with the national team. He's shown it. Um, I just like the way they were moving the ball today. I, I just like the way that they were very incisive in that final third and uh, you know they, they were so good to watch and you know they were still angry after the game about the comments <laughs> of Van der Vaart. the players actually come out and said it and then Van der Vaart tweets that uh, maybe I, I motivated you guys congratulations is he looking for a job or something you can get him on the staff <laughs> it was it was quite funny and uh, there, there's a lot of yeah look in Spain there's always a lot of emotion involved and um, and there's always something to talk about that's for sure <laughs> Rafael Vanderbilt. It's amazing how something, just a throwaway line, can literally become the dominant storyline 
or the plot around a game. It was a little bit as well with um, Fernando Santo, who I think was politely referred to as the bus driver of the Portuguese team. Not to deri- be rude about him, but just you had so many quality players, you know, you, know just, you can go out there and ride them. And he took offence to that, and that became a storyline throughout that group. It's just funny what players yeah. and coaches use to motivate things. And probably I didn't explain myself. Van der Vaart said they were the worst team to watch at the Euro. They were boring, and all they do is kick the ball from side to side. And uh, look, I'm not saying that he was completely right, because he wasn't. But in the second game, they were a little bit slow with their build-up, whereas today they were like in, in tight areas, one-two touch, get it out the other side, shift the opposition, and they did that so well. It was quicker. It was more about it. Johnny, I just wonder, it makes me think, do you remember like from your time with the Socceroos as, at a major tournament, was there ever something that someone said from completely outside that you guys just latched onto and that was that was the story? Oh, I can't really recall with the Socceroos. There definitely would have been. You know, a lot of people wrote us off many a time because, you know, we failed to qualify on a, uh, quite a few occasions. So there, there would have been times that, you know, you, it does motivate you. As long as it's motivating and it, it doesn't actually... Uh, hinder your performance and, and make you lose your confidence. I remember Rakoba coming out just mm. before the, the game and saying that, you know, it's our divine right to go to the World Cup. You know, we, we did play on that a little bit because it's like, come on, you know, we weren't afraid of anyone. We, we played without fear. That was just the way we were. But it does happen. It definitely does happen. That's why in the media you need to be careful. But also as a manager, he I reckon Luis Enrique would have played on that. Yeah. I reckon Luis Enrique would have gone, look what Van der Vaart said. Mm. You know, are, you, are we going to show him or not? And, and and the players, because they came out early in the week, had a go and said, just wait and see. Wait what, what we're going to be able to do, what we can do. And then after the game, two players interviewed and they just went both, for it. Both reference. I remember being in Honduras and Ange Postacoglu after the nil or draw first leg game. And there were so many elements going at play. But for the most part, the hospitality in Honduras had actually been really friendly and welcoming for a country that had been built up as, you know, a very high crime rate and so on. And then the post-match press conference, and just erupts, not even prompted, about their newspaper calling us the kangaroos that play long ball physical football. And he rinsed every journalist that was in there. And you just thought, to what extent did he use that in his pump up before the tie to say, you know, we're going to show them we're going to play our way. It's an interesting question, Jake, about the just how the media plays its part in, in, in the narrative and the plot and the drama and the build-up, even inside the dressing room, not just outside. I'm sure Wales would have played uh, that about Mancini saying that they were like Stoke, yeah. but uh, it didn't work. <laughs> so that was really impressive from Spain. You mentioned the side-to-side passing. For a final word on this, Dermot Corrigan is the Athletics beat writer on Spanish football at the moment in the Euros. And he had this to say about the change that Enrique made from game one and two to three that saw the floodgates open. And the difference tonight maybe from their games against Poland and Sweden before was tonight they got that stroke of luck that they just hadn't gotten with them for the other games. After the own goal from Dubravka, the, the cork really came out of the bottle, as Luis Enrique had said pre-game. He said in, in his press conference yesterday that he felt that the team were... We're doing most things right on the pitch that they were playing well, they were defending well, they were moving the ball well, but they just needed something to, to go their way. And the metaphor used was a cava bottle, which was had been shaken up and the cork was ready to pop. And then when the pop when the cork did pop out today, they, they went on and won the game easily. And uh, Luis Enrique's backing from Morada is a funny one, all right. Um, it's partly due to lack of options. Spain have tried so many strikers over the last decade or so since David Villa retired, cycled through about 10 different people trying to look for a number nine. And Morata has all the characteristics, you know, physically, um, he's big, strong, he moves really well, he works really hard. 
Um, he's good in the air. He is a good finisher when he's on his day. On the issue of changing, um, Luis Enrique spoke about a few muscle injuries that, that, that the team had picked up and also about seeing how tired the players were before they had to, to Copenhagen to play Croatia. But I'd imagine the core of this team will continue. The people who came in today, Busquets, uh, Sarabia, Azpilicueta, if they're fit again. Eric Garcia played well as well, so I don't think there'll be too many changes. So, the result of that, Spain against Croatia. I know we've got a lot to tuck into over the next few days, but all I can see here is a midfield battle to die for. Yeah, you've got uh, Busquets against Brozovic. Well, there's similar positions, of course. Modric, Pedri. You know, you've got the changing of the guard, really, there, in terms of Modric coming to the end. Pedri starting out at 18 the Real Madrid versus Barcelona divide. It's, yeah. it's all happening. Yeah, it is. And then, and you've got Koke as well, with Atletico Madrid and... Uh, and uh, Kovacic, who was a former Real Madrid player. So there's so much in there, just in that midfield. World-class midfield, you know, the, the six players that we just mentioned. And then uh, I, I still think Spain edges it with their front line, you know, and, and also, you know, what they can bring from their full-backs coming forward. We didn't mention Aspilicueta starting. Yeah. You know, so that, that was good. And what that does... And, you know, again, Llorente is a top player who's been playing that right back. But what Aspilicueta gives you is that confidence and that experience out on the pitch. And, and that can calm everyone down. So when they weren't going so well and, and goals weren't going in, he might have been the one that just calmed things down. I almost thought as well, like watching their first couple of games, that Llorente, because they had so much of the ball, was stepping into midfield so much and like maybe almost slowing them down a little bit at times. They had an extra man in there. Yeah, I wouldn't say slowed them down. I would say that, uh, you, look, they played a little bit different today because what happened with Aspilicueta, he sort of stays as one of the build-up in, in, in a back three. And uh, and what happens is that Sarabia was able to come short and then all of a sudden Koke is making those forward runs. So that movement there worked really well. That combination worked well. And Aspilicueta didn't really need to get forward as much because on the other side, you've got Jordi Alba that just bombs on. And, you know, we, we've stopped saying how good he was. And You're taking for granted a bit, don't oh, Not you, as in yeah. one, people do. People yeah, do. Yeah, you do. You do because you just expect it from him. You know, you expect that he's going to be... But he, he also is showing that he's... Uh, become a leader yeah. and you know he's probably had to calm down a little bit because yeah. he can be a hothead at times but he, he was good again yeah pedri the new so the new look spain it's it's the new look, new look with the old pedri to jordi alba pedri played through busquets those vertical passes quickly was the big difference into sarabia magic can't wait to see them build into the next phase um and as i mentioned we, we will mention um, sweden and poland Robert Lewandowski nearly pulls it out of the fight on his own, and then misses a sitter that you couldn't even fathom. So what double, we, a double sitter! Um, uh, you have to see it to believe it. Jump on the opposite up. You have to see his goals, and then you have to see the miss. Extraordinary stuff. He still managed to prove everyone wrong in this tournament with three goals for his country. Nearly drags them through. Sweden probably. Is this harsh to say they might be the most unpopular side going through to the next phase? But do we give them? Where do we see them? They play the Ukraine. That's called the draw gods looking on you favourably. <laughs> I think that's a fair call. I think they definitely play the least popular style of football. We've seen them obviously sit back so much. They scored, scored three goals this morning. I know, it just sounds harsh. I mean, and Forsberg's finishing was... Oh, was Forsberg was good this morning. Top class. Yeah. Mm, elite, and elite. they got quality players. This is where, you know, you want to see Sweden play like this because they got quality. You know, Forsberg and then you got Isaac and you got the, all these players that are around there. They're very good attacking players that you think that they can play a little bit more like that. Um, but yeah, look, it's an open game because it's very hard to pick who's going to win this one, you know, because, you know, Ukraine probably just scraped over the line. Yeah, they still got quality up top. Oh, they were so disappointing last out as well. Yeah, they were disappointing. But um, 
just on Lewandowski, I'm a little bit disappointed they didn't get through because I think if they did and they went a little bit further, Ballon d'Or Ballon had his door. name written all yeah. over it because yeah. he got three goals again. How yeah. many is that? 56? Yeah. Oh, God, that's a... Th- yeah, uh, 56. Or it is, yeah. It is, 56 yeah. 56 this season. Yeah. You know, oh, that's, that's Messi, Ronaldo-esque, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. they, you know, they were the only ones that were breaking the 50, you know, goal barrier. Yeah. And, and he's done it this season, and he's done it many a times. He's scored a load of goals. But this is probably his best season ever. Yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, And i tell you what, if, if Sweden do get past Ukraine, whoever does win the England-Germany tie will have a very interesting day out in that a quarterfinal, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there, and that's there is so much to look forward to. So, just to reiterate Belgium against Portugal, Italy against Austria, France against Switzerland, Croatia against Spain, one half of the draw, Sweden against Ukraine, England against Germany, Netherlands against Czech Republic, Wales against Denmark. I read those out. What else excites you that doesn't involve the teams that we've reviewed today, guys? We'll obviously jump into those previews as we do match day gang pods through the next week. We'll have a couple of days off, but we're back for them. Uh, next week, but just a crystal ball, which one of you circled and gone, get me on that game? I actually think Portugal-Belgium will be will be super-duper interesting. As we, I mean, we're talking about it before, but I think that that's just set up. That's two absolute heavyweights. Um, some of these ties, like some of the bigger nations, will be, will be very happy with their draws. I mean, Germany-England's obviously the other one, but we now get to the point where we're into the knockout phase. It's game by game. It's grand finals every single game, and I think that we'll start to see mentality come to the fore, and we'll finally find out after months and years of watching these teams play who actually has the metal to get the job done on the big stage. I can't wait. England, Germany. I just can't. You know, when you, you're growing up, you see England play Germany so many times. And, you know, I wanted to go down to a penalty shootout, Dave. I know that everyone... <laughs> you're a sadistic is, man, is, Johnny. Is, is Southgate <laughs> going to come on and rip the, rip the suit off? Well, I, I hope for Gareth Southgate they have a penalty shootout against Germany and they win because then, it, you know... All that baggage that was left yeah. for his miss in 96, you yeah. know, that's gone. But, you know, it, no one remembered who missed in 1990. They remember who'd missed in 96, and that was him. They even made commercials about it. Oh so it was, uh, you know, heartbreaking for him because they had a great uh, Euro in, in 96. But it's at Wembley again. It is coming home, is it? Well, no, I uh, yeah, I don't know. But, I don't know. You know, it's set up. It's, it's opened up for them. Yeah, and it's it, opened up for so, them. So the English will not want to talk about They do talk about the penalty shootouts a lot. But, you know, they should try and say, well, back in 66 when we won at Wembley. I'm they don't talk about it more often, really. <laughs> <laughs> Looking through, just to conclude, you got Italy against Austria, where you could say that's probably on the toughest side of the draw, a good result for them, but then that sets them up to play either Belgium or Portugal, should they get through. Same goes for France. We could see them against Croatia or Spain. We have so much to look forward to next week, guys. We're going to have a couple of days rest because we need it because we've got a massive couple of weeks coming up. Has anyone slept 14 hours straight yet? Because I was going to say I rest. Do that. What, what, what's that, Dave? <laughs> Never heard of her. I don't know. I can't remember. I, I, can't, I couldn't remember the team names in the first two minutes. You think I remember what rest is? As we conclude, guys, um, group stage run and one. We get caught up in the hype of the Euros bubble. Say it's been great. It's simmered to a really good point and, and the ending today was fantastic. What is your favourite memory, takeout, trend, when you think about the last couple of weeks, if you can remember anything, if it's not a whole blur. Oh, it's all a blur, but definitely Denmark. Denmark, number one for me. Oh, just what a story. I think it's going to take some topping even. I mean, I'd love to see them go all the way. It'd be even almost better than 92, just about if they go all the way from here. 
It would be better than 92 if it goes all the way, um, if they do go all the way. But, um, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Denmark and just seeing the atmosphere in that last game and, and the whole, like, country getting behind them. And I don't think it's the whole country. I think it's the whole football of the footballing world they want to see them do well and, and want to see them unless they're playing against their nation so yeah Denmark for me but they, you know, there's been so many good goals as well I, I've been you know taken aback that Patrick Schick his goal was sensational but then you know you had Modric you know with his goal but both against Scotland, Scotland <laughs> at Hampden Park yeah, by the way I know, I know Hampden Park's got a Funny knack of producing good goals. I remember the Zidane goal, uh, you know, against Bayer Leverkusen yeah. for the Champions League. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's so much about it. I still love the way the Italians played in the first few games. You know, the uh, very un-Italian from past tournaments. They've shown that they can actually play an attacking brand of football with a talented players without having big names. So, you know, when you look at their actual starting 11 and you look at you know France, Germany, England, you know you can't compare but the way they're playing their football you have to say brilliant. Yeah, there's been we'll have over the next few days on the Optus Sport app some recaps with the teams of the tournament, the breakthrough stars of the tournament, the players who might have some transfer links because of their performances and there certainly have been. Um, and for me I love the the the, the contrast, the theatre, the different styles you get during a tournament list, the players that emerge. And that's why for me the days that I remember being the most exciting of watching Italy because they've Brought us off our feet when Locatelli scored that goal with Berardi. I think that's the one moment just in the middle of a game that all of us on the couch were on our feet basically or just like jaws dropped because of the beauty of it, that you can have a shit goal, you can have a Modric goal, but you get a goal like that, which mm. was just such such great team play. But then also at the same time, hungry. Like I know we joke about it. We always talk about, you know, oh, Dave, you're getting... But I love an underdog story. Forget if it was Hungary or if it was whoever else. If it was North Macedonia, if it was Ukraine, it doesn't matter. I love it when a... Minnow takes it to the big nations and shows you that you can play different football in different ways and still succeed. And I thought with the Pushkas Arena too, it added something to the tournament that um, maybe we'd forgotten about, the magic of the crowd, the magic of the atmosphere and that kind of thing. And what also has been great is actually seeing the communities here get together. Yeah. You know, the, where their heritage is and, you know, where they're from and Dave Davidovich and Daniel Garb there. And, you know, that means a lot because you know that they're still happening in communities. And, and I recall when I was growing up and watching Italy, at you know, the World Cups and, you know, the Euros and that and getting, you know, with family and friends and whatever, waking up silly hours of the morning and watching it and getting excited and... You know, so I, I loved seeing that part of the, the Euros as well. i tell you what, just thinking about the team of the tournament, that was a fun exercise. I'll be, I'll be looking forward to the debate about that because there is a lot of uh, exciting players vying for selection for that. And I just realised I'm incredibly biased. My mum my was born in Italy and my grandfather's from Hungary. No wonder I've picked those two teams as my two favourite of the tournament so far. So there you go. Day. Yeah, something interesting all the, all the yeah. time. Just a little bias in there <laughs> that I didn't realise I had until it came out of my mouth. Guys, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for sticking around all through the last two weeks. Enjoy a good rest. Everyone out there, recharge the batteries because we've got a lot of football to watch. You don't want to miss a second of it over the next couple of weeks. Jake, John, thanks so much. Great to hear from everyone on The Athletic as well and their insights over the last couple of weeks. Everyone out there, until the next Yakin Pod, don't enjoy your football, rest up, and we'll speak to you next week.